0: Well, welcome to this afternoon's show. Uh, My guest today is Steph Cutler. Let's see if the microphone works. Hello, Steph. Hello. How are you?
1: Yeah, great, thank you.
0: Uh, We're going to talk about you, your work and your life and everything, and, and you're a big inspiration and all that kind of stuff. But I will start by playing a record specifically for you (laughs) <laughs> uh, because you said it meant a lot to you and that's galvanised by the oh, Chemical Brothers. Oh,
1: brilliant, thank you.
0: Why? Why does that matter?
1: Why? I uh... think they're rubbish. But... <laughs> well, actually, it's quite appropriate because um, I actually saw the Chemical Brothers in uh, Wolverhampton, Civic, um, about three years ago and it was a very difficult time for me because I'd recently acquired my disability. Um, I'm now visually impaired and it was whilst at this gig, um, which was all sweaty and brilliant—a brilliant time to let my hair down, forget about everything—that I decided to um, set up my business, which is um, which was pretty turning point in my life, really. So it's quite motivational, and every time I hear it, I have to turn it up loud.
0: Right, it's motivational. My word for that is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's put it on, and it's quite—it's—it's uh, it's, it's the LP version, so. Bop away.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Wasn't that awful? <laughs> Wasn't that an awful piece of music?
1: We really got off to a good start, there, didn't we? Uh, I, th- I think you need
0: to have had drunk a lot, <laughs> taken excessive drugs to you need in order to enjoy that. Uh,
1: not, is not that, true, not true.
0: Is that, your, is that the kind of music you generally like, or are you quite eclectic?
1: I have got loads of different things in my music collection. Um, like I say, that one's a bit a bit memorable for me, but no, I've got all sorts of things, just absolutely everything. So you might like some of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Explain to me. Uh, uh, we, we'll move on from that. We'll just, yeah. we'll, we'll let that one go. So okay. I'm going to play some better records later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, how would I describe you in a word? Because you know, I come in and people—I have guests. And I say, well, they're they're actors, comedians, or they—you mm. know—they're social workers. Or well, how would I describe you?
1: Oh, oh, <laughs> it's really put me on the spot. Um, I really don't know. I—I I don't think I can be defined in a word in terms of work because I do lots of different things. Um, entrepreneurial, maybe.
0: Entrepreneurial. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, right, so so on that basis then, how, how, how what do you do that's entrepreneurial that, that could embody what you are?
1: Um,
0: how you work?
1: Um, well, I'm certainly very um, creative in the way that I think. Um, I'm really quite driven and quite motivated by what I do. And I... Um, I like to see something through, and I've got a very kind of strong work ethic. So I think those things, and I'm also a very positive thinker. And I think those things tend to um, help if you are enterprising.
0: And what what do you put the uh, the strong work ethic down to? It's not something I've ever suffered from. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I don't know really. I think I've, I have actually always had quite a strong work ethic. I don't know. I think it's probably upbringing um, upbringing partly but then actually
0: I always blame the parents (laughs) that's why I'm lazy (laughs) it was my parents fault
1: (laughs) well I've got a lot to thank my parents for then Um, because actually if you work for yourself which I now do Mm -hmm. um, if you don't do it no one else is going to so you it does help (laughs) being a hard worker (laughs) need to be a grafter for sure.
0: A grafter. Yeah. Well, you don't hear that word very often. <laughs> uh, and so at the moment you're living in Coventry. That's right. Uh, someone has to. That's, uh, that's right. And, and it's, it's a hideous place, isn't it, Coventry? It
1: isn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How long have you lived in Coventry?
1: Um, well, I moved to Coventry when I was about um, 18 and I studied there for a year. And then I um, went off to Manchester, did a degree in fashion. Um, Then I moved down to London and worked as a fashion designer.
0: You worked as a fashion designer? That's right. Where did you work as a fashion designer?
1: Um, Initially at Ted Baker and then I went on to work uh, for a supplier to Marks & Spencer.
0: And did you enjoy that?
1: Yes, very much, yeah.
0: And what brought that to an end?
1: Um, Because I was told unexpectedly that I was going to um, lose my sight, uh, my central vision in particular. Uh, and uh, much as I did enjoy my job I didn't want to spend the few months I was told I had looking at the four walls of work so I left and went to see a little bit more of the world while I knew I still could.
0: And um, where did you go?
1: I went, to, um, I went to Peru and I went to Machu Picchu because that was somewhere that I'd always sort of wanted to go mm-hmm. um, and I went to uh, New Zealand where I had some friends that were there and
0: and was Machu Picchu what you hoped it would be?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was really amazing, and I'm really glad I went.
0: Excellent, excellent. And so you, you, you were. This was about four or five years ago. You were losing your sight?
1: Yeah, around back then.
0: And is it is it uh, progressive? Will you eventually be completely uh, blind?
1: No, no. I um, I did lose my central vision over a relatively short period of time when it began to happen. So <clears throat> over something like. Oh, something like six weeks-ish, um, and then... Over six weeks? Something like that. I, I It seems a lifetime away now, because my life's so different to then, and it seems a long time ago, but it was certainly over maybe a couple of month period.
0: And what caused it?
1: Um, it was a hereditary condition, um, and, yeah, and it affects my central vision, but it um, won't get any better and won't get any worse, so I'm... So I've were, adapted to it, and that's it, sort of thing. So,
0: were you expecting it to happen as you were growing
1: up? No, not at all, not at all. Um, I didn't really know very much about it, and um, it was certainly not something that was ever expected to happen to. So, given me. that you've
0: said it's hereditary, do, do one of your parents have it? No. No.
1: No. Oh. And it's very rare in women. It's um, it's rare anyway, but it's particularly rare in women. So it's uh, it was extremely unlikely that it would happen to me.
0: Right. So that. Obviously changed your life quite dramatically.
1: Well, yes it did really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How
0: did you cope? That sounds like a flippant question because I imagine it must have been very very difficult.
1: Um well I looking back, I actually think I coped reasonably well actually. I um I was given the news and as sometimes is the case, everybody else was was more upset than I was. I kind of thought, well, I'll I'll see what happens. I knew I wasn't going to go totally blind. Um, I didn't really know what central vision loss meant. I didn't know what it would mean to me emotionally. I didn't know what it would mean to me practically. So I kind of decided that I would just see, um, just sort of take each day as it came and deal with it as and when, really. Um, Before I went travelling to see some of the world, as I just explained, um, and this is a bit crazy, really, but I threw a big, I'm going blind party.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> and I just inv-
1: invited everybody because what I was keen not to happen was for people not to feel like they could ask me any questions or talk to me or people say, "Oh, have you heard what's happening to Steph?" And mm-hmm. so I just thought, "Well, I'm just going to be really, really open and just um, get everybody together and and you know pack the pub out and we all we all got drunk and and um, that was that like, out in the open really. <laughs>
0: and played dreadful chemical brother. <laughs> I wasn't in, I wasn't
1: <laughs> in charge of the playlist.
0: <coughs> uh, probably a good job too. <laughs> <laughs> and so so you it was was it a shock in the sense that for example you went you went to see a doctor, did you, because you had a little bit of an eye problem or something?
1: Yeah. Um
0: and he said, Oh yes you have, you're gonna go blind in two months.
1: Not quite. I um I was actually on holiday, um and um we stopped off at an amusement park and the amusement park was called Puzzling World and as part of Puzzling World there was some optical illusions in a room. And I followed the, um, the instructions. I closed my right eye and looked at these lines on the wall and then I closed my left eye and I couldn't actually see the lines at all, which wasn't what was supposed to happen. <laughs> and I um, thought, hmm, not quite right. Uh, But I was on holiday and having fun and I didn't really, I wasn't overly concerned.
0: Obviously, I need to know where Puzzling World is.
1: Puzzling World is in New Zealand. It's a long way to go. (laughs) It it just (laughs) seems
0: such a bizarre thing, Puzzling World.
1: Yeah. It broke up a a long train journey, so um, it served served more than that purpose in the end. And um, when I got back to London and um, I went to have my eyes tested in, in my lunch hour and they said you need to go to hospital straight away, and because I couldn't actually see with one eye closed, I couldn't see the you know the lettered chart that you read. I couldn't see that at all.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, did you have a desire to stay in fashion?
1: Uh, yeah, initially I did. Yes, I um, I moved back to the Midlands to be with my family, mm-hmm. um, I was very very keen to become employable again. And um, I worked very hard to learn how to do things differently. So
0: when you say to be employable again, was there any way that you could have stayed with who you'd been employed with or you quit that to go around the world?
1: Well, I kind of, I had quit that because um, I'd left to, to take these few months off and and um, actually when I came back, my site hadn't deteriorated as they thought it might. So I did get another fashion job, but in my first week, I realised I couldn't actually see my computer very well or I couldn't see the artworks very well. And mm-hmm. so that job lasted... Uh, Few days, and I sadly came back to the Midlands and um, and learnt to use a computer again with assistive software on it, and which was actually really tough. Um, so, yeah, I say employable in the wider sense, but my my first goal was to go back and work in fashion if I could.
0: And then you sort of gave that up.
1: Yeah, I um, didn't give up on it immediately, but I came to the conclusion that it's a very visual job. Mm. And it's a very tough industry, and even with sight, it's hard to keep up at times and it's very pressurised. And I just felt that maybe I could do it, but I, I probably wouldn't enjoy and, going and it's to work you, every day.
0: It's what you did your degree in at Manchester, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And so, but I'm sure it gave you many transferable skills.
1: <laughs> well, it did, and I knew that, but when I started looking for other jobs, employers didn't seem to. Noticed those in transferable (laughs) skills as much as I would have liked.
0: (laughs) So what kind of jobs were you going for?
1: Um, Well, I wanted to do things um, like I went for jobs like marketing assistant. I wanted to start back sort of quite sort of an assistant position to get used to working again. Um, Just working in a work environment with the um, additional things that I needed. So I was going for reasonably junior positions, um, working um, events, marketing, fundraising, those sorts of things.
0: Right, so so, who, who was your kind of key supporters when when this happened to you?
1: Um, my friends and family um, have been absolutely amazing. Um, I know for a fact that I wouldn't have got where I've got so quickly if it hadn't been for them. Mm-hmm. Um, outside that, I've had support from um, Action for Blind People, IB. Um, and are they good? Yes
0: Because yeah. I know a lot of people don't like they are an IB A bit like they are an ID Some people say <laughs> that, that, that it stands for Really not interested in blind people
1: I have heard that <laughs>
0: <coughs> But you found them very very good Yeah That's excellent, that's excellent That's what I like to hear uh, So you decided then Did you not get any jobs? Uh, did you decide to become self-employed Or did you get a job and think oh, This is a bit um, rubbish
1: I was really struggling, um, bearing in mind I'm very impatient and mm-hmm. probably should have given it a bit longer, <laughs> um, but I was working very hard um, with various support agencies to um, to gain employment. I'd um, worked very hard to even be employable again and I felt that I had a lot to offer an organisation. Um And I did get a job, um, which wasn't my ideal job, but was a job I was going to do. But there was a conflict with the software that I used and their computer software. And it wasn't really, um, like I say, my ideal job. So um, for various reasons, um, I decided that I would employ myself. Seemed Mm. a good option.
0: So you decided to employ yourself. Yeah. uh, As what?
1: (laughs) Well it's funny because some people may relate to this but living with an acquired disability um, is quite interesting in terms of the barriers that you realise exist that perhaps you didn't realise when you were not disabled Mm -hmm. and realising some of these barriers I felt that perhaps there was a business opportunity around uh, organisations making what they do more accessible to um, everybody disabled people especially and I wondered if there was a Uh, you know, a gap in the market to do something around that.
0: And did you focus on visual impairment?
1: Um, No, I didn't. I spent a lot of time researching other impairments as well because um, I didn't want to just talk about myself and what I knew from my experience, which was quite limited. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be able to talk about um, things like the DDA Credibly, um, talk about um, what, what else is out there, who's doing what, and just to learn a lot more about you know, other, other impairments and other people's views. So it's a pan-disability um, consultancy that I set up, but I didn't set it up immediately because I wanted to be in a position to be able to you know, talk very credibly and, and know what I was talking about.
0: And what was that called?
1: It's called Open-Eyed.
0: But it's still going?
1: It's still going.
0: (laughs) And and what does OpenEyed do?
1: OpenEyed is a disability equality consultancy that um, offers a range of accessibility services but the main service that we offer is um, disability equality training to, um, on the whole, to frontline staff at various organisations, local authorities, um, um, sometimes corporates, charities, all sorts of people.
0: And so do you have much to do with the Coventry CIL? Is that what they're called? No. Co- Coalition of Disabled People, Council of Disabled
1: People? No, I don't. Maybe I should.
0: <laughs> I think that's the Warwickshire one, actually, and they're based in Leamington Spa. I'm talking a load of rubbish. <laughs> but I know they're working Coventry a bit, so... OK. Uh, well, we've got Steph Cutler in the studio with us. Uh, so you set up this disability quality consultancy, mm-hmm. fundamentally, uh, and is there lots of work in that?
1: Um... Yeah, it's not the easiest sell always, um, but, you know, lots of things are hard work. Um, there is there is work. I think it's quite a growing market, even since I set up. I think there's quite a lot more organisations out there doing mm-hmm. similar things. and um, But, yes, there's certainly work there. So, stepping back
0: a little bit into your past, mm-hmm. how did you feel about disabled people when you weren't disabled? Given that you now do DET to people that uh, often don't have any understanding of it. How would you have described yourself prior to yourself becoming disabled?
1: Well, I was probably like a lot of people who I now train in that um, I wouldn't describe myself as prejudiced, but I, but my awareness was, you know, quite limited probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think that is a good place to be doing what I'm doing because I understand that, you know, for lots of reasons people aren't necessarily very aware and you know that's not because of um, anything other than that nobody's ever talked to them about it perhaps Um, and so I think having both viewpoints as a disabled person and as having been a non-disabled person is actually quite advantageous.
0: Because I would have thought the fashion world is quite a disabling (laughs) kind of community
1: it's yeah it's not the most caring sharing industry
0: not necessarily <laughs> because it seeks to be that but because like you say it is about ideals and perfection and, and the look is it not
1: yes th- yeah yes it is and um you know and it it's it is what it is really and it it's not um i i wouldn't say it's particularly welcoming but then i don't know if it's you know how many people actually try to go down that route who Have a disability, I don't know.
0: So, have you been watching the thing on television, Britain's Missing Model, about trying to get a disabled model Uh, for the fashion fashion and modelling industry?
1: I've seen little bits, but I have to say, I don't actually have the channel (laughs) that's on, so I haven't seen it enough. It's rubbish. rubbish. No, I have seen bits of it, I'm certainly aware of it.
0: Right. And and so, uh, when you're doing DET, Mm how difficult is it to get it across to people and how how well do you think people take it on board what you're saying and doing
1: well i think it's down to you as a trainer to ensure that they that they feel comfortable arriving and they feel more confident leaving and and that's really it's that's really down to me to the for the most part um and i actually think most people come along um willing Um, those who drag their heels don't tend to drag their heels when they leave some will even confess they didn't want to come but leave saying that it's been a very useful experience and that they thought it was very beneficial so there's there's sometimes an element of having to kind of get people on board a little bit but now I think people are generally um, generally quite willing actually and 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 certainly you know we don't all know everything I'm always learning and is an opportunity to share experiences quite often,
0: and so, given that you're visually impaired, how how different do you think that is to a lot of other impairments when you're doing DET? Does that make it harder or easier? Do you think?
1: Uh, I kind of don't really know because I don't, I haven't experienced any other disability.
0: Do you do it on your own?
1: Um, I have a I have a um, assistant who helps with elements of it, but mm-hmm. on the whole, I do. Um, the majority of it um, by myself. It certainly does make it more challenging um, and you develop quite good memory when you um, can't necessarily see prompts and slides and handouts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, again, that's part of your professionalism is to find a way to make it work for you and those, you know, who you're training.
0: Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I love it. You love DET training. (laughs) Because I I must admit, I've done it and I hated it, which is why I gave it up.
1: Yeah, well, it's not for everybody and I can see that. Um, Because I
0: was always uh, perturbed by the degree to which people can uh, uh, creatively manipulate whatever you say to suit their own attitudes. Uh, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. A it's a good thing because it shows an incredible creative mind, mm. but equally it it, it makes it uh, very difficult for people to actually take that extra step. So what what kind of techniques do you use to force them over that that barrier to to make them take it on board in a way that many people, you know, I've done I've done oh, well, I've seen people do DET and mm. I've done DET where you know they get it all the way through and then they come up to you and at the end and say something like aren't you brave has shown that they completely <laughs> missed the point and I'm sure you have that as well everybody does what kind of techniques do you think you you use particularly to enable
1: well I think um, I do kn- I do know what you're saying um, but I do think that actually in the time that you very often have there is only so much you're ever going to achieve Um, depending on where people are coming from in the first place and I think you know you have to have a level of expectation whereby people aren't going to get it in half a day necessarily Mm -hmm. but my view is that if people get it a bit more and you know go away thinking slightly differently then in half a day that's not bad going Um, and I think it's you know it's kind of chipping away isn't it and it and it might be what I do alongside the next person they meet, alongside something else that they read and it, and it, you know, it starts to make a difference. So I, I don't think what I do makes a 100% difference to absolutely everybody who comes through my doors but certainly the feedback we get is pretty, is pretty good. And I'm pleased with it. And I think that actually how you do that is by making people feel at ease, because for some people, it's not the most comfortable topic, is it? And if you can actually say, you know, and I think that's where having um, acquired a disability can help because, you know, it could have been you sitting there not all that long ago Mm. with your ears open, but not that much knowledge, maybe. Mm.
0: In the studio with us today is Steph Cutler, it's the Outside Centre show with Dr Dark in the afternoon. If you wanted to email me, uh, dark, D-A-R-K-E, at wcrfm.com, or check out the website for www.wcrfm.com. This is 101.8 WCRFM. Welcome again to Steph Cutler. Uh, Do you like living in Coventry?
1: (laughs) What sort of a question is that? Well,
0: you know, I, 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 I don't like to enter the boundaries of the town personally. That's not true, actually, because <laughs> I, I went to Warwick University, which obviously is in Coventry. Uh, but they didn't like Coventry, obviously, because they wanted to call the university <laughs> something else.
1: Well, what? no, that's because there's already another Coventry University, maybe. Well, it was
0: Coventry Poly in those days,
1: oh, okay. so they could, obviously. Oh, okay. Warwick <laughs> University was set
0: up in, in Coventry in the 60s. So they could have called it Coventry University, okay. but they, they were a bit embarrassed, really. <laughs> which, which you understand, really.
1: No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> it's not a bad place to live, I have to say. It really isn't, and it's getting better.
0: I once heard a comedian say that, you know, he was, he was given a gig once and he said it was the Nightmare Scenario. It was in Wolverhampton Street, Coventry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, he's a politically right-on comedian now, so he doesn't say that anymore. <laughs> So you set up, uh, you started OpenEyed.co, mm-hmm. which is obviously a play on visual impairment as well, eyed.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I'm kind of just like opening your eyes and opening your mind, I guess, for, for some people, as we were saying. So yeah, eyed seemed to fit.
0: So how important is terminology, given that we've oh. got, you know, people using racist terms to friends mm-hmm. in the royal family? How important is terminology? So, for example, are you visually impaired? Are you blind or what?
1: Um, And how do you
0: feel about those kind of terms?
1: Yeah, um, I actually do think there is some importance on the language that we use just because of, of how that can sometimes make people feel. So I do think there is some importance, but I do think there's also a danger that we get a bit too het up on the language that we use and sort of forget that actually we're talking to people at the end of the day so um, yeah this was something that we cover in the training actually and it's it's always contentious and in some ways I don't think there's a right and don't think there's a wrong answer but there's there is good practice I think
0: and what about you personally you're blind or visually
1: um, impaired I don't mind being described as visually impaired I don't mind being described as blind although partially sighted is a bit more appropriate in the sense that I do have quite a bit of useful vision um, although I am registered blind so um, any of those three I don't really mind
0: you don't mind Uh, so uh, because for example one of the shows we're putting on in Wolverhampton is called Spastic Fantastic and it's by a comedian called Lawrence Clark who has cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. who's trying to explore the word spastic Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously that's very important in the kind of disability kind of World, have, you, have do you? Do you think people notice that you're partially sighted ordinarily in the street? And have you had people come up and say things to you?
1: Um, well, I have really a hidden disability because although I have um reasonably serious, you know, significant sight loss, I actually don't look um visually impaired mm-hmm. and I can see where I'm going um pretty well, so I don't. Um, have a a guide dog I don't have a a white cane Um, but actually when I'm out and about I do need um, help from time to time with say navigation seeing signs seeing boards and train stations that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I think one of the greatest challenges for somebody like myself is actually people understanding that I don't look any different to a sighted person but actually you know please believe me i would like you to just tell me where the you know what platform my train's on and and that's an ongoing ongoing sort of challenge and i think it's for both both parties really i think i've learned how best to try and
0: so are people quite short with you you sort of say could you tell me what Mm. that says and they're looking at you thinking well read it yourself
1: yeah that you do get that definitely um and I did get that to start with, and it, and it did used to upset me, but I don't get so upset anymore, and I think I now communicate pe- with people in a way that they probably um, maybe understand a little bit better, so I have that less and less. Um, but, yeah, there is always an element of that because I don't know what the alternative is, really, um, and I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's just um, getting people to understand that, you know, you know, I wouldn't really ask unless I needed... You to tell me.
0: <laughs> so what? What still upsets you?
1: Very little, actually. Um, I'm really quite comfortable with my um, with my sight loss. Um, I wouldn't say anything particularly regularly upsets me. I one of the things that frustrates me the most is not being able to drive anymore. And the only thing that probably I still don't like and upsets me occasionally is not being able to recognise people very well, um, and I I find that really difficult. If I walk into a room and I don't necessarily know where the people are that I know, but it is upsetting if it's somebody you care a lot about, like your sister or your mum or mm-hmm. you know somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still sometimes gives me a bit of a lump in my throat.
0: So how was it, how difficult was it to give up driving?
1: Um, well, it wasn't. It wouldn't have been difficult in London because actually I didn't. I hadn't driven for a while because I didn't particularly need to in London but now I live um, in the Midlands um, it would be useful to be able to drive definitely but my friends and my family are all really good about it and I, you know, use public transport where I can but it's just that freedom thing of being able to just nip and do something and you have to kind of plan a bit more and, um, you know, it it is frustrating.
0: And so... What, what what do you not do now, do you think, that you used to do a lot of? So, for example, you obviously like to travel. Yeah. Did you sort of give that up a bit or what? How does that Well, work? I haven't
1: travelled as much, but I don't know if it's because I've given up. It's because... I don't get paid holidays anymore working for myself. (laughs) Um, And certainly starting a business, you don't have a huge amount of income necessarily. Mm. Um, So for a while, those two things played a part. Um, I had traveled quite a bit um, even before I um, went to South America and New Zealand. So I don't know. There's not a huge amount of places that I have a really big desire to go to that I haven't been to already. Mm. Um, And who knows, in a few years, maybe I'll sort of, Pick that back up again, but it's not something I miss because I haven't got a big burning desire at the moment. I'm not sure if there's anything really that i'm miss a great deal because I still do everything just maybe slightly differently
0: mm. so you're a, a when you do the d e t training i do you work to what's called the social model
1: yes that's right yeah
0: and and where did you uh find out about that?
1: Well, that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me really mm. because um I wasn't aware of it until I started kind of researching like I said for my first business and I think I kind of it was interesting to know to find out that there was a name for what I had been experiencing Mm. and to realise that other people bought into this and there was actually a model that I was working a business to that I didn't know was called the social model of disability Um, so yeah it was quite liberating really to find out about that I think somebody just told me about it and then I ran with it and started reading up all about it and yeah very very empowering to read about it and
0: I always ask people this uh describe the social model to us oh,
1: <laughs> oh dear okay um
0: I've had people who developed it describe it so you struggled to describe it so yeah
1: oh well that makes me feel slightly better um well for me it's 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 the notion that if um, society was set up slightly differently or gave more consideration to disabled people, then we as disabled people wouldn't be as disabled as we are. So it's less about impairments and much more about um, the way society is structured and the way people think. How's that, for? That sounds very good. <laughs> that sounds
0: excellent. <laughs> Steph Cutler is in the studio at the moment with us uh, and hopefully we will be for the second hour as well. Uh, Entrepreneur and inspiration. Uh, You are an inspiration, but let's just talk about who's inspired you. Who inspired you in, say, let's say, fashion?
1: Oh. Uh. (laughs) You
0: weren't expecting that question, were you? No.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I think people like, um, it's a bit of an obvious answer, but people like Vivian Westwood, really, a British designer who um, has really made it happen for herself,
0: You mean the most badly dressed woman in Britain?
1: Well, (laughs) no comment, but certainly her story's pretty (coughs) incredible.
0: I'm a guy who buys my clothes at jumble sales, so, you know, fashion's the last thing on my mind.
1: Okay, Uh, no comment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wash them first. (laughs) Uh, And so, Vivian, why do you like Vivian Westwood?
1: Well, I think I'm always quite inspired by people who maybe start from nothing and have an idea and and make it happen, really, and, mm-hmm. and are eventually successful in their chosen field. And I think she was around at an exciting time and she made it probably more exciting.
0: Right, right. Uh, that that punk kind of thing. Are you an admirer of punk?
1: Um, Not especially, but again, it's that idea of...
0: Well, given that you like crap music like the chemical brothers, <laughs> I thought perhaps you might like crap music like...
1: No, not especially.
0: (laughs) 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 And and so once you became disabled, Mm -hmm. who would you say your inspirations there, both personally and kind of like in the reading you've done?
1: Um, Well, when I decided to um, set my business, I was kind of... I'd done all this research that I talked about and it was kind of crunch time really. Am I going to... Um, actually go through with this or not, which obviously for anybody is a big step. And I was having a bit of a wobble, as I think probably most people do. You know, I've done all of this. Now, am I going to actually take it anywhere? And I went to an uh, enterprise uh, event at the NEC Mm -hmm. and listened to quite a few speakers. But one of the speakers at the event uh, was called Liz Jackson, and she's a, a blind entrepreneur. And just hearing her speak, for me, was really timely and, um, and really inspiring because she and what made does it happen. Sh- what
0: does she do as a blind entrepreneur?
1: Um, she has a, a marketing business called Great Guns Marketing. Um, and for me, it was um, kind of less about what she actually does but more about the fact that she was doing it and doing it really, really successfully. Mm-hmm. And um, had, had acquired sight loss, which... I was sitting in the audience, probably the only person who had recently acquired sight loss. And so for me, it was a it was a moment where I thought, you know, if she can do it, then then so can I. And, it, you know, it is possible. And so that was a, that was um, a big moment for me, really. Um, other than that, my dad's uh, an inspiration to me, really, because he's self-employed also. And he's very entrepreneurial and very supportive. And, and what does he do? He's a, got um, a training consultancy business, but in a completely different field. It's nothing to do with disability. It's mm-hmm. um, in the hospitality industry. So there's there's definite connections, but not entirely the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got a lot of your you've got a lot of your kind of drive off of him.
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: That work ethic. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely.
0: Uh, these self-employed people, you have to work, don't you? <laughs> i'm self employed so I know what it means <laughs> yeah uh, and i 'm fat, so I obviously work too hard. <laughs> I should probably give up work a bit and sort of lose a bit of weight uh, uh, <laughs> and, and so did you did you did you chat to Liz Jackson after
1: I did actually, yes, and what I was did. that like for you it was It was great. she was just really um, really down to earth and really encouraging, and yeah, just gave me some of her time and Really made a made a difference to my thinking and,
0: and and how supportive have things like access to work been? Good. Because most people I speak to who, who come on the show and who have access to work find them pretty bad.
1: Well, I know, and I do hear so it's sh-
0: like getting blood out of a stone.
1: Yeah, I do hear horror stories, but I have to be straight and say I haven't had any um, problems Um, I've been really supportive and if it wasn't for them I don't really know how I would have started my business so Mm -hmm. I'm very appreciative the supports, you know I get the support that I need and um, yeah it's it's been good.
0: Excellent Uh, in the studio with me is Steph Cutler Uh, we've been talking about her work as a disability quality trainer And her life, etc. And we're going to move on now because you've set up another organisation thing called Making Lemonade.
1: Yeah, that's right. Tell
0: us what that is.
1: (laughs) Well, um, I set up Open Eyed, um, which wasn't particularly aimed at disabled people. It was more aimed at non-disabled people and raising their awareness. Mm -hmm. But through one way or another, um, disabled people would contact me and um, asked me for um, advice or support, um, maybe some guidance, maybe they were interested in setting up a business or were looking to gain employment or maybe they had recently acquired a disability, um, that sort of thing and people would just get in touch with me having maybe heard me speak or read about me or something. And I replied to everybody as best I could, bearing in mind it wasn't that long ago that I was in a similar position but I became asked more and more and um, it is quite time-consuming replying to everybody in the way that I was and then organisations that support disabled people would start to get in touch and say, you know, perhaps you could speak to some of our clients or our members and in the end I decided to actually set up a second business which is called Making Lemonade off the back of these requests really.
0: And and so... and. How does it manifest itself?
1: <laughs> what do you mean?
0: What do I mean? Uh, so, well, it's a website.
1: Yeah, it's a website. It's actually it's actually a second business now. Um,
0: so how does it differ from the first business?
1: Well, it, it does differ because the first one, like I say, is more aimed at non-disabled people. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, sort of training based. This is um, working with people, um, not especially disabled people, but it tends to be, um, which is great. And we actually offer things like um, training f- around um, helping people to gain a bit more confidence, perhaps uh, motivating people if, if needs be in terms of um, looking for work. And it's more about individuals and um, what they need to do and how they feel about um, certain things in their life that they might want to go for. So it tends to be around enterprise, employment and leadership.
0: And so explain you do inspirational talks. And yeah, lectures.
1: I'm a bit loath to call them that, but but that is how they've been described, yeah. What would you call them? <laughs> Um, well, I just think I did what I did and I don't particularly... You did what you did. You know, I don't particularly <laughs> see it as, you know, I feel slightly uncomfortable with describing myself like that, but... Um, why?
0: Explain Explain why you feel a little bit uncomfortable.
1: Well, because I don't feel that I am intuitional, <laughs> to be quite frank. Um, but other
0: people keep telling but, you that you are.
1: But if people say that, that's, that's for them to say, and it's, you know, it's a compliment, that's nice to hear, but... Mm-hmm for me you know this happened and i did did something with it and and you know and i'm now very happy and don't look back so i don't um yeah so i'm slightly uncomfortable with that but but it is <laughs> well, that is how it's been described um so yeah sometimes um um i've got you know a keynote speech which i deliver to um a whole wide range of audiences actually um sometimes going to school sometimes to um at, you know conferences around employment welfare to work around um enterprise um, not always around disability even but you know people if it people if what I'm going to say suits what their 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 events about then I quite often speak Mm -hmm. Um, we also I've got um, associates of my business that are professional coaches so we do sort of um, personal performance coaching with various people so looking at um, areas of people's lives that they might want to look at in order to achieve their goals and ultimately achieve their potential so it's about inspiring people and supporting people to make it happen. It can be very personal to that individual as to what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we offer um, business advice and support um, disabled entrepreneurs and budding disabled entrepreneurs as well as women entrepreneurs. <coughs> and um,
0: and so, uh, have you trained in this?
1: Um, well, some of the stuff, that, some of the stuff um, that I do, which is sufficient. Um, from my own experience because quite often that's all I'm asked to do is share my experiences with other people mm-hmm. um, I'm training to do some of the things and where I personally don't then like I say I've got associates who are who who get mm-hmm. on board and work with me mm-hmm. so it's it's quite collaborative sometimes um, so we've got a, a leadership program for disabled people that we run within organizations and um, I actually don't do that much of the delivery but um, I, I pull it all together and get the right people in to do the right bit, which has been a real success. We, we did that last year. With, to, to, um...
0: So why is leadership important?
1: Well, I think leadership is important. And, and one of the things that I'm working on with other people and within my own business is to try and um, support disabled people to um, become um, leaders um, and support current disabled leaders. Um, I don't know if there's that many people out there currently, uh, well certainly there could be a lot more people with disabilities in positions of leadership within organisations and I think, you know, if we can support people to achieve those, those aims and get over some of the barriers that exist for people to reach those positions, then I think it's a good thing. Why? Well, because I think it's good things for for young people, um, young disabled people to see actually people with disabilities in positions of of power and leadership, and I think um, if people with disabilities are in um, positions where they make decisions, then you know it it helps for organisations to be more inclusive and accessible in the way that they operate.
0: Mm-hmm. And how is the credit crunch impacting on your business?
1: Well, so far, I don't think it is. I'm trying to ignore all the doom and gloom every time I turn the telly and the radio on, um and put it into perspective. Um I had a great year last year and I'm I'm aiming to have a great year this year and um try not to fill my head with too much Bloom. doomful gloom. Doom yeah. And <laughs> doom. yeah. So um no, I think actually in all seriousness, the clients that I've got and the people that I work with Um, are unlikely to be hit first, certainly, and and therefore I'm hoping that I can weather the storm.
0: And are you working much with disability organisations?
1: Yeah. Which
0: ones?